Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. It is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, Right. First question is, I know this isn't unusual, but our daughter, who's five, has an imaginary friend. She's called Pixie. Pixie first appeared at the end of June when she finished junior infant, so we put it down to our daughter missing her friends in school. Pixie has to have a setting at the table. Pixie has a makeshift bed on the floor at night time. And if we don't talk about bringing Pixie with us before we leave the house, our daughter is likely to have a screaming fit if we forget her and we've had to turn around go back to the house and collect Pixie she's just started senior infants and Pixie is more present than ever she goes to school with her talks about her to the teacher and when she was asked to go on a play date with another child in class she said can Pixie come too I worry that she's showing preference to the imaginary friend and isolating herself in school should we try to phase out Pixie and encourage our daughter to leave Pixie at home more often I mean, she's five, so we're just going to kind of look back because the first line here is so accurate. I know it isn't unusual. It isn't. Mm. Children as young as two and a half years old can present with imaginary friends. And generally speaking... You know, imaginary friends, the clue is in the title. It emerges from a rich, healthy, active imagination. And it's often a sign of a a healthy, developing imagination. So we don't look at psychopathologizing this or thinking of it as a problem because actually an imaginary friend in a pro-social context can be useful you know, can help children express feelings that is very difficult for them to express directly Mm. themselves because Pixie can have the feelings Um, or practice social skills. You know, Pixie, it's your turn, now my turn and do all of those little bits. And you can see that. I mean, there would be very exceptional circumstance if an imaginary friend arose out of a trauma or soon after a trauma a child had experienced or if the imaginary friend was very nasty or encouraging harmful behaviours, mm. then I would be saying, nope, then we are looking at that in a different way. And I would you know, suggest that somebody, if, if you're thinking it's that, go straight to a GP and consult with a mental health expert on that. But with this one, I would look at it like based on what's here, you know, having this imaginary friend means she always has a playmate. Yeah. Even identifying this started at the end of school and over the summer. You know, Pixie is always someone to listen to her, someone who's always on her side and conveniently could be someone to blame for wrongdoing if anything comes up. Yes. And I think that's where we say (laughs) you go with the imaginary friend but you hold a boundary around behaviour. So if something is done and it wasn't me, it was Pixie, you do have to gently yet firmly say, we both know it wasn't Pixie. We know it was you and you have to take responsibility for your behaviour. And then you move on. Mm. Okay, but you do name that. You don't go, gosh, Pixie. Because sometimes kids are testing. Well, what would happen? If I did this thing, let's see what you say to Pixie and they might imagine Pixie did this and Pixie did that and they'll tell you all of that. The one thing I would say to you, though, is I would want to switch this slightly to encourage your daughter, because she's five, to be a little bit more responsible for her own friend. So instead of you're saying, you know, Pixie has a setting at the table. We have to remember her. We, there's a lot of we in this. So yes, I'm going yeah. to suggest that you go back and say. <laughs> Meaning you, actually, 100%. parents. Yes. <laughs> so I'm that you're going to say, well, you're responsible. Mm. If you want Pixie to come in the car, you bring Pixie in the car. If you want Pixie to sit at the table, you must set a place for her and clean up after her. And if you want, and so it's all on your daughter and you're encouraging that responsibility yeah. with her. Now, with the school and Pixie going to school, 
You may or may not want to involve the teacher or if this lingers as far as parent-teacher meetings, which I think are ballpark at this age, November to January. If Pixie is still hanging around, then maybe teacher could speak about, you know, we don't actually have a place for Pixie in this class. Pixie isn't registered for school and needs to stay at home at school. But equally, your teacher might be saying, you know what, we never hear of Pixie when she's in here, so it's fine. In which case, leave it alone. So the bitch on that just jars with me slightly is that the parent is worried she's showing preference to this imaginary friend and isolating herself in school. Now, I'm just curious if they have evidence of this. Like, what is Chloe? Is she not going on playdates? Is she not playing with other Mm. children? In which case, you would link in with the teacher and just ask for an extra set of eyes while you're not there to keep an eye on this. Yes. So that's the only piece that I'd like. "Mm," I'm like, okay, what's that? Because yeah. that would be well, slightly the different. The previous sentence there, which says she was asked to go on a play date, but she said, can Pixie come too? Which she, she was still going on the play date. Exactly. And the other child might be delighted to go, sure, yeah. we can play with this together. Yeah. And involving other children in her imaginary friend. So actually, it sounds healthy enough. Imaginary friends tend to hang around for a period of time. They serve a function and then they just go. Yeah. And by Do they tend to go suddenly or is it kind of fade away? It tends to be that they just stop being mentioned. Mm. You know, and they fade away from memory, fade away from imagination. Um, You know, as your child grows up a phase, you know, they can hang around for months. They can hang around for years. Mm. Like some children will have them for years and will remember them. And other children, when you say later, when they're eight or nine, gosh, remember Pixie, they'd be like, what are you talking about? So it really is. It's a transitional phase. But there are more pro-social gains than not. If you find there are little areas that you're concerned about, Get in and put a boundary around those areas, but don't dismiss or minimise the friend. Yeah. We've decided to get our two-year-old off her dummy. She has used it since since birth and our dentist noticed that it's beginning to have an effect on her front teeth. She's very attached to it and very much a comfort for her when she wakes up during the night or gets distressed about something. Can you advise us, please, how best to wean her off it? I mean, wouldn't it be lovely now if I was like, here's the three steps. Yeah, here's what you do. You wouldn't be even doing the show anymore. You'd be on your yacht in the south of France, phoning it in. I'd be like, I mean, this is, I love this. We have decided. okay? Because what you're talking about is your daughter's source of comfort. And even any of us adults, imagine the thing that brings you most comfort. The thing that you go to when you're a little bit sad or when you're feeling Mm. a bit down or tired. The thing that helps you to fall asleep and somebody else decides you're not having that anymore. How might you feel? Yeah. So if you can look at it from that empathic place and go to that place in you that knows this feeling and think, how would I like this to be handled if this was happening to me? Let that be your starting point, because I would say empathy and empathizing with her is going to keep you in the moment patient. And also when you can expect, of course, you're going to expect some upset and even behavioural regression around this. It'll keep you patient and in that empathy place. Instead, you're going to come on, just go back asleep. You'll be able to say, I know that this is hard. Of course, you miss your dodie. We're minding your teeth and I'll help you fall back asleep. And it'll keep you in that connected space. Mm -hmm. Or at least it will help you to, okay? And I would expect that she's not going to high five you and go, what a great idea this was. So you could have disrupted sleep patterns for a period of time. It could be five, seven, ten days. And you have to hold steady. You can't crack and say, it's 2am, I can't do this anymore. Take the dodie. Because you're back to square one. So for everyone's sake, 
gather up all the dodies. And by two years old, they've got really clever places of hiding and concealing dodies. So think like a two year old. If you, Where would you hide dodies? Go gather them all up, put them all in a box. I do think. <laughs> there'll always be a few you can't find always. that are covered in uh, dust and muck. Or that they hide then, in really oh, secret places yeah. so they can always get to it. But this is only a two-year-old, though. You can't really, you're not really at the point where you can put out an argument to them. Oh, even. no, no, no. You're going to gather them up and you're going to talk about the Dodie fairy coming to take them away. And that's going to sound exciting. But the cause and effect thinking isn't there. So when Dodie fairy comes and takes them away... Your two-year-old is going to go, but where are they? Bring them back. Because I didn't think that through. I'm two years old. I would say they're gone magically. You could bury them in a hole in the garden and the next day there's a teddy where you bury them. You can do any, you can tie them to a tree. You can do whatever you like with them, but you need to replace it with something that is a source of comfort. So I would get a a particularly plush, soft-bodied teddy, one that, you know, screams touch me, hug me, squeeze me, a teddy like that and use that as a transitional object for her to transfer her comfort, the source of comfort from Dodie to Teddy. And then every time she looks for Dodie, you're giving her Teddy. Every time she's tired and needs to go for a nap, she's getting Teddy. If she's a little bit sad and comfort seeking, she gets Teddy. And you really invest in that. But it's going to be about empathy, patience and persistence. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, my there daughter. are some books. Oh, sorry. There are some oh, books. Yes, I'm right, just thinking, okay. actually. I mean, there are books and everything. But there are ones. A lot of them are quite American. You know, they talk about pacifiers or binkies. Yeah. But your two-year-old isn't reading, I imagine. So you could just substitute the right word. Dodie yeah. in. There's B gives up her pacifier and there's bye bye binky. I know those two. I'm sure there are many. I'm sure there are many. Yeah. But those might be worth doing and integrating into a bit of story time as well. Yeah. My daughter had a family of imaginary friends who lived under the fridge mm. until she was seven. Uh, and then they disappeared. She's in her 30s now and perfectly all right, uh, <laughs> says the text. Are they perfect. still under the fridge? I'd, I'd check under the fridge <laughs> if I were you. Uh, just to make sure. Uh, my four-year-old started junior infants this year. The first two weeks were great. She was delighted going in with the friend she made in play school. Then on week three, she cried going in and has a complete meltdown going in now. When we ask her why she's acting like this, all of a sudden she says it's because her friend from play school won't play with her and tells other kids not to play with her. At break time, she just sits on the chair watching the other kids play. This is breaking my heart as she's a very good mixer and I'm afraid this will affect her confidence going forward. Do I keep watching this or say it to the teacher? Oh, why hasn't the teacher noticed it? This is a jo- well. I want to know that as well. And is she really sitting on a chair watching mm-hmm. the other kids playing, or is she also explaining? I feel left out. And be aware at this age, and it's so rampant at this age. What we call microaggressions in this little age group of kids against each other. You know, it's very much in the realm of you can't play with us. Mm. Uh, You're cheating. You're out. It's my ball. I'm going home. You know, it's those kinds of microaggressions. They're not bullying. It's not targeted. It's not malicious in intent. It's it's but it can be painful and hurtful. You know, I do want to say that. So it sounds to me like some of this is coming into that realm of microaggressions. These kids knew each other. There's now new kids, a new system. This is all new. I'm also thinking on week three, I'm thinking back to my own experience of junior infants. I'm pretty sure that's the week they start the full days. You know, they do the yes, yeah. the shorter days yeah, for a couple yeah. of weeks. So I wonder, is that part of this as well? The day is longer. 
There's more demands. There's also two breaks now when in the shorter days they probably only had one break time Mm. to negotiate. So there's more mini transitions in their days. So actually this is a period of adjustment and in a period of adjustment we are adjusting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not minimising this. So when you say keep watching it, I'm going to say yes. I also think it's no harm to say this to the teacher. The teacher's also getting to know all of these children for Mm. the first time. And they're all going to have ups and downs and highs and lows. So it might be about slipping. I don't know what your school's communication plan with teachers is, but maybe you can hand a note in or if there's an app or, I don't know, a system for communicating just to say that you've observed a sudden behavioural change this week. It could be for a few things, but she's certainly talking about not having connections on the playground and feeling alone. Mm. Could they keep an eye on it and let you know what they observe? Yeah. yeah. And then I would, but we're still very much in the phase of adjustment with starting school. Yeah. In those, but th- that often happens with, with children that age, somebody is their best friend. Maybe they've made that transition from uh, play school into school. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so they think, that you're, well, I've got you, you're going to be my friend. And, and then they find it really hard. Absolutely. Uh, or they think it's going to be the same as it was in preschool. Because yes, we know yeah. each other from there and we were playing in a particular way and now school is different. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's really nice for kids to know kids when they're starting. But this can happen because maybe they're sitting at different tables and they're four different connections. Mm. So the other thing this parent can do certainly is be interested in who else is in the classroom. Be interested and encourage new friends. Yeah, You know, and say, oh, I wonder who else you, oh, it sounds like they were in the middle of a different kind of game. I wonder who else you could play with. What, and try to get a few names from your child's desk and ask proactively about them. Yes. What was so-and-so doing? I wonder, could you play with so-and-so? And start putting those ideas so that your daughter doesn't feel I have to play with the kids I know. And if they won't play with me, I don't know anyone else to play yeah. with that she can get to know. She might need a little support, though. That's why I think it is worth linking with the teacher and just mm. saying something is happening and hopefully it's transient, but let's keep an eye on it. Yeah, but the, I suppose you can't really fix it. I mean, you can do no. all the things you said, but you can't. It's something you can encourage to, it and support. Yeah. But this is the nature of friendship at this age. You know, children, you know, when they're preschool age, you know, if you're a kid and I'm a kid, we're friends. Yeah, that's really as complicated as it gets. <laughs> but coming into junior <laughs> infants, we get more of this pattern of pick up and drop friends, mm. and best friend one week. And I hardly remember your name the next week. I've moved on to someone else because I'm trying out new connections to see who's like me who's not like me, who makes me feel good. And so this, and it can be hurtful for the child who gets dropped in my pursuit of a connection. Yeah. But it's quite normal at this stage. Yeah. Now, here's one I don't think we've ever had before. My nine-year-old son has started changing his accent over the past year. Sometimes an accent will last a month and sometimes it disappears quickly. He loves video games and American TV shows and we are worried that he's being unduly influenced by these things. However, on the flip side, we're reluctant to talk to him about it because we're a theatrical family and this may be a period of experimentation for him. We don't want to limit his sense of play. Any advice appreciated? I mean, it's one of those things that it's either a problem or a concern or it isn't. You yes. Know? Um, and not, I don't mean that in a smart way, you know, but you're looking at this and I would play with play with this to work out which is it. Mm. Because I, I'm wondering, have you ever asked him about these accents, you know? Ooh, new accent today. Who's this? What's their name? Where are they from? And see, is this in fact a form of role play which would be really healthy 
because stage three developmental play, which again, talking about ages, I'm always reluctant because developmental age over chronological, but typically children up until seven are in that kind of role play. They're playing out doctors and patients or parents and babies or teachers and students. They're in role. But just because they leave that phase of early childhood into middle childhood doesn't mean that should stop. Mm. And it very often, thankfully, doesn't stop. And so I'm curious, is this a form of role play, which is great and it will deepen, you know, his capacity for empathy and perspective taking and other awareness, awareness of others, I mean, you know, and it will fuel that creative, flexible, adaptable mind and thinking. So all of that's great. However, and this is my dot, dot, dot Mm. bit. When we are doing role play and we're immersed in it, it's equally important that we know how to de-role. Yes. How that we know when the play ends and I enter back into reality and into my day to day life. So if an accent or a persona is being carried for a month and it doesn't stop and it's there all the time, or at least more often than it's not. And I don't get to that place of, well, I'm done with that. What's for dinner? Or, you know, that I can't talk to you as myself. Then I would be curious about what is this? Because when you talk about the, the TV shows and the video games, Maybe it's a character from a show and I'm quite interested in them and I'm wondering what would it be like to be them? Yeah. And so I want to live as them for a while. I would get curious. I would get playful. I would enter into it and I would encourage de-rolling at the end of it and go, that was great fun. Now I need to talk to you, of course, and get you dinner or get you sorted for bed or let's do your homework or whatever it is. I'd be curious, is he maintaining these accents in school as well? Or is it something he's doing in the safety and sanctity of home? where that play feels very permissible and possible. So I have a lot of questions back in response to this question, but I do think that you could come at it with curiosity and playfulness, particularly because you sound like you're a playful family and you would be well equipped to do that. Yeah, because they say they're a theatrical family. I wonder if they mean that literally they are people in the theatre and... Well, then it would be, you know, part of his life, wouldn't it? That people play roles and perform and become others. So again, with curiosity, you'll you'll explore, is that what this is? Yeah, because I suppose like all kids kind of try out different things about themselves. So an accent could be no different. Some children pick up accents really easily. They go on a two week holiday somewhere and they've acquired the accent and they can adapt back when they're at home. So he might just have that ear for picking up accents very easily. But it might be more as well. I'm curious, what would it be like to be these characters I'm playing? and I'm taking on those personas. Yeah. Sinead uh, got in touch to say, my imaginary friend moved to Sweden uh, and then on to New Zealand. We stayed in touch on the phone for a while until eventually we got on with our own thing. I think it was about five or six when she had to move with her family. In retrospect, it was a good way to learn about separation. Clever me, age five. uh, Very, and that's exactly what an imaginary friend does. You can send them away when you're done with them. Yeah. And it teaches you about permanence as well. But isn't that lovely? That's a lovely end to that story. Joanna, Thanks, Will. Thanks as so ever, uh, Joanna Fortune, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Coming up after the break, why is it that the rape crisis hotlines in Dublin are funded by the government, but all the others aren't? Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.